So we're starting a new series called Love Thy Neighbor. And really this series, this entire series is about relationships. Uh, we already talked, uh, we talked about dating relationships before. This is about everything else, which is most of them in your life. And we're going to be talking about how we kill those relationships. We're going to talk about how we can make them better. And I'll be honest with today's topic, I don't like it. Um, it is what God has been going after me lately with big time. Um, and I, and I've, I, you guys have been around before. I've said this before. Like, I don't like this topic because God's working on it. God's like smacking me upside the face with this topic. And we're talking about pride today. And I, I don't like talking about pride because pride is really the source of every other relational conflict. Like every relational conflict. And, and today is kind of like the overarching idea. And everything else is going to come off of that because pride is what leads to all other relational conflicts. It's what leads to anger, what leads to unforgiveness, what leads to gossip, lust, uh, you know, the loss of self-control, greed, entitlement, laziness. All these things are just sources of pride. And pride is a tough thing to spot. Like pride is something that's very hard. Like and, and I was even talking about it earlier with someone. They're going, well, how can you tell the difference between confidence and pride? And what we like to do many times is we like to make up a lot of excuses for the pride in our lives. And so what we're going to do, we're going to start off with a passage um, and, and James. And James, just so you know, James is a, guy, is a guy that is not looking to coddle anyone. He's not looking to save your feelings. He's not the person that walks up and goes, like gives you like a compliment and then tells you the truth and gives you a compliment. Like he doesn't do that. He just goes, this is what you are. Deal with it. And so this is what he does. Like he kind of just starts off. He just wants us to understand who we are. So James 4, 13 to 17, it says this. It says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your pretentious plans, and all, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not to do it. So just to get you guys here, first off, he goes after our intelligence. He goes, guys, today or tomorrow, you say, uh, I'm going to do this. He goes, you're not even smart enough to do that. He goes, you're not, you're not all knowing. You're not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, here's the deal. Like some of you are like, but I know exactly what's going to happen. I have my day planned out like every 15 minutes. I know what's going to happen. Some of you are like, I, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I just kind of look at my calendar. I hope I'm not late for something. But even those that like plan out their lives, we have this idea that we're going to know exactly what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter if our plans are there or not. Here's what we know. Things can mess them up out of nowhere. Right? There's no one in here right now whose entire life can't be flipped upside down by a cell phone call. Like we have this idea that we know what we're going to do. I mean, for example, for me, after this service, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get home. The light's going to be on in the bedroom, and my wife's going to be like, what took you so long? Even though I get home every single night at the same exact time. She's like, I'm so tired. I'm like, I know. We're, it's past 7 o'clock. And, so, and then I will go in, and I will lay down on the bed, and I will turn on the office and I will watch the office while I return emails and text and look at social media and get everything done. And then I will set my alarm and then I'll look at the office a little bit longer. And I like, here's why I like watching the office. It doesn't surprise me. I don't, it requires no brain power. So I can just go to sleep and then after a while, I'll just go to sleep and it'll be done. This is what I believe is going to happen. That all could change. In fact, me saying this up here could make my wife respond differently as soon as I get home. 
But we do. What could happen? I mean, so many things could happen. A cell phone call, something happening on the way home. We don't know what's going to happen. He goes, you don't even know what's going to happen. Why would you even make plans? He goes, you are a morning fog. Like in another version, it actually says you're just a slight mist. It's like you're, you're the puff from an e-cigarette. Like you're not even that long. And the, and the idea of everything that's going on, your entire life, it's, it's a puff. It's a mist. It's something that happened and then went away. And he goes, you don't even have the power to change that. It's like you don't even have the power to change the fact that your life is a mist. So James starts off with this idea. He goes, hey, here's the deal. You don't have, you're not very smart. Uh, you don't have the power to do anything about it. He's like, if you start off your day like that, guess what? You won't have pride. Because no one that's really boastful goes, hey, guys, guess what? So I'm dumb and I'm not very powerful. What? Like nobody starts off like that, right? It's the opposite of that. No one boasts that way. But on the other hand, he, what he wants us to get is he goes, I want you to understand where you are so you fully understand where God is. He says, you are not powerful, but God is all powerful. And we forget this many times. I think we forget this the most because God doesn't do exactly what we want him to do. And so we forget he's all powerful. Or we go to the movies. You know what's interesting to me? We go to the movies and if it's one of those like demonic horror movies or whatever, and you've got like the, the person that, that has a, a demon inside of them, and they're like going crazy, their head's spinning, and then what happens? The priest walks in. What's our first response? It's not that, oh, priest walked in, it's all over. He's going to cast out the demon. What is it? Priest is about to get messed up, right? We do. We think that. Here's what's crazy. This is, this is the way movies have kind of messed with us. And when you look in the Bible, when Jesus came in contact with demons, did they argue with him? No. Did they ever win? No. In fact, they pleaded with him not to kill them or get rid of them. They literally did exactly what he wanted them to do. When it comes down to the end, the final battle, battle Armageddon, the very end of everything, when all the demonic forces and all the forces of God come up against each other, the way that it ends is not this bloody battle. Jesus literally comes down and says, I am. Boom. Done. It's over. That's how powerful God is. That's how powerful he is. And not only that, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows how all of this is working together. He knows already why your weird day, you're like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? God knows already what's going to happen with it. God already knows what the plans are going to happen, and he's also everywhere. And wherever he is, he's full power is. He's not like us. It's not like, we've said this before, and we just kind of said this, like, you ever felt like you were, you know, overstretched, like you signed up for too many things? You're like, I don't have enough power for all these things? God's never felt that way. God's never been like, oh, man, dang it, I totally forgot about the Middle East. Like, God's not, he's not sitting there like, man, I forgot, oh, I'm I'm over here too, I can't do this. Wherever God is, he's all-powerful, and he is everywhere. See, we don't know really much of anything. We are not all-powerful, but God is. God's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's everywhere. We don't have grounds to boast on ourselves, but we do have the ability to know who we can boast about. And on top of that, we can be okay with it because we know the all-powerful being loves us. We know that the all-powerful being is good. How do we know that? We can point to the cross. We can point to the cross. See, here's what's so tough about humility and pride. It's really hard to know if you're humble. Like it is. Like I used to joke around, like I'm so humble. If it was out of a one in 10, I'd be a 12. And people would laugh and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's prideful. 
But like, how do you know you're humble? The moment you go, yeah, I think I'm becoming pretty humble. That's pride. It's like, wow, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm being really humble right now. Well, you're, now you're bragging that you're humble. Like the moment that you're like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, like, I feel like I'm becoming humbler. Are you? You just decided that you're humbler. Like, how, how do you do that? Like, what is it? What is it possible? I mean, the other side's really easy because we know exactly what pride looks like, although prideful people are really good at saying that it's something else. Like, the really prideful people are like, no, I'm just good at that. I'm just better than everyone. Some of you are in here like, I haven't said that. I've definitely said that during Monopoly. I have. But we, we've, we've said these things, and you're like, that's easy to point out, but what does humility look like? So how do we, how do we find our humility? How do we do that heart check We've got to acknowledge our weaknesses in the fact that we need other people. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, 20 says this. It says, yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies would have many parts, and our God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Here's what he's saying this is. Here, no one in here is everything. In fact, everyone in here has more weaknesses than they have strengths. And the only way we can make up for that is with other people. This means we all need help. This means we all need to be with others. That's why God actually commands us to be with others. That's why God wants us to be a part of church. That's why God wants us to be a part of a church and be involved in a church. Why? Because you need people. I mean, he says it's like the idea that you'd just be a hand. I mean, a hand in a decathlon would do nothing, right? I mean, it'd be kind of cool. There'd be a lot of news coverage, the first hand competing in a decathlon. Like, it'd be freaky. They'd take off on the race, and it's like going like this, and everybody would freak out. But it's like it can't throw anything. It'd just sit there, and it would do it. It wouldn't do anything. But it's the same idea of what we do. Many times we go, I don't need people. I mean, I do the same thing in my life. It's, you know, as you get older, like the people that you're close with many times move away or things change, and it's very hard to replace them. It's very hard to find other people. And in my life, a lot of my accountability, a lot of the people that I've been close to have moved away or we've lost touch or whatever it may be. And so even in my life, I was like, man, I need to find somebody else. And so I finally went out and I was like, hey, and it's weird. I'm 38 years old and I go up to another guy and I'm like, hey, you want to be accountability partners? Like, it's just weird. Like, it feels weird. I'm like, I'm a man. I should know these things. And here's what's crazy about it. Like, I am being humble on the side that I'm going, hey, I need help. But I don't even tell my wife about it. And I'm like, why didn't I tell my wife about it? I'm like, I don't want to look weak in front of her. And it's like, how misogynistic man, like weird thought pattern is that? That I am literally getting help, which is exactly what she would want. Yet I was afraid of looking weak in front of my own wife and doing it. But we do. We don't like other people's help. We don't want other people to think we need anyone else. We decide that we want to be apart from others. And when we refuse to be a part of the church, we actually weaken ourselves and we weaken everybody else in the church. See, this is what we forget. We weaken ourselves, but everyone else in the church is weaker because what you bring is important to the church. And what this allows us to do is knowing that we all have our weaknesses, it allows us not to be everything. It allows us to work on our strengths and allows us really to get rid of the anxiety of this idea that I have to do it. It it allows us to move away from pride. See, pride has got two sides. There's, There's one side that says, I don't have any weaknesses. 
It's the person that goes, I can do anything. I can, you know, they come up to me, they're like, how? You want me to teach? I'll teach. You want me to do this? I'll do this. You want me to do this? I can do everything. You want me to do your taxes? No, I don't. But like, I, like everything, they're like, I can do everything. That's easy to spot pride, right? When somebody comes up and thinks they're amazing at everything, that's easy. And then you get the other side, and this is the part where many of us fall into. And we think we're being humble as we go, God, you know, I'm just, I don't have anything to offer God. God, I am just so weak. God, I'm not good. You cannot even use me. You're like, how is that pride? Here's how that's pride. You're telling the God of this world who knows you, who has seen you, who knows your future, that you know more about you than he does. By telling God that he can't use you, you're telling God you know more than he does. Because he's already said he has a plan for all of us. We've decided that God can't use somebody who's messed up. Here's what's crazy. When you look through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'd have a lot of people there that did a lot of amazing things that would never pass a background check at GFC. I mean, seriously. Paul walks in, the man who wrote like half the New Testament. Hey, Paul, so you killed like 150 people. Uh, so is that still a problem? Right? You got David who comes in. David, hey, David, so uh, you have a way of... Um, sleeping with other guys' wives, and then killing the men off. Like, is that, like, I, I mean, you look at Rahab was a prostitute on top of that. Moses, Moses, if you read through that story, sometimes we miss it. Moses basically pimped out his wife on three different occasions. And it's like, wait, what? And God took all of that weakness. God took all of them in their weakest form and said, I can use that for something. How dare we make an accusation against God saying he made something that can't be used? So how do we combat this? We, we look into it. We, we see it. We, we try to find it. We stay around others. Another way that we do this is, this sounds kind of weird, but we stay curious. Here's what curiosity is. Curiosity is the acknowledgement that I don't know everything. Right? It's curiosity that causes us to look something up. It's curiosity that causes me to look at Google all the time. Like if somebody says something, and they're like, I don't know. I don't have the ability not to find out. Like, I can't sit there and be okay with that. Some of you could do that. Like, you'd be like, hey, I wonder how many leaders are in that. I have no idea. I'm like, we have Google. Like, why aren't, why aren't we looking this up? Like, it's that, that curiosity. Here's what happens many times. The older you get, the less curious you are. The older you get, the more you become less curious about God. The more you become less curious about the Bible, your relationships and everything around you. I mean, think about it. The first part of a relationship is so much fun. Why? Because it's that curiosity. You get to learn about each other. We do the same thing with God in the beginning, but over time we stop doing that. I mean, you see it here with David in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. This is curiosity. He says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? What is David doing? David is walking outside, looking up at the skies, looking at the stars, and his curiosity has driven him to part to see how big this world is, how massive this world is, and the fact that God made all of it, and he still cares about me. See, here's a sign that you've lost your curiosity. You constantly weigh in on topics that you know nothing about, or you know very little about, or you're sitting near an expert and you feel the need to talk. Ever been in a situation like that? Like you're at a table, someone there is literally an expert, and you have your other friend like telling you about what they learned on Bill Nye. Like it's like, shut up. Like it's like sitting there at a table, you've got a pilot and the pilot's explaining flight and he's like, yeah, oh yeah, you like, like when I put my hand out the window, right? 
like that. Like, I know, yeah, what you're talking about. Yeah, the wings do that. Yeah, it's like, shh, be quiet. Let the pilot talk. I remember a situation where I would go to these roundtables for youth pastors. I was in youth ministry for 13 years, and it was crazy. I'd go to these roundtables. I remember sitting down at one, and there was three guys there that had been in youth ministry over 20 years, had big youth groups, had reached all kinds of people, had incredible uh, amount of people that were volunteering in there. Like the, the ministry was doing incredible stuff. I'm sitting down. I can't wait to hear from them. And this other guy just starts talking. Talking about everything his ministry is doing and what youth ministry is all about. And at one point, I look at him and I go, hey, I've got to ask you, how long have you been doing youth ministry? He's like, oh, two months. It's like, how many kids are in your group? Not that size is, you know, it's not about numbers, but what's, how many kids are in your group? He goes, six. It's like, how many volunteers do you have? Well, my girlfriend. I was like, that's awesome, man. But everything you're saying right now, you don't know. This is all possibility. Everything you're saying, you hope it turns out to be. These guys right here, they've already proven it. Their hypotheses have come true. They already know how to help people and do all that. If you're around someone that knows the right answer, yet you still feel the need to be heard, it may be that you lacked curiosity. Maybe that you've gotten to a point where you're no longer learning in those ways. See, curiosity realizes we don't have all the knowledge in this world. We don't have all the experience. It reminds us that we still have something else to learn. See, humility re recognizes that other people are experts in these things. It's one of those things where I, I always think about GFC as a whole. Like Grace Family Church right now, on an average weekend, runs about 10,000 people. Craig Altman is the lead pastor. If Craig decided he was going to run every part of the service, it would be awful. It would be. I mean, he'd try really hard, but the man can't sing. You, he is the last person when you look at him, you're like, that guy would be good with little kids. No, you're like, that's not what. And if he tried to do every single part of it, it would be ridiculous. He needs people that are experts in every way. He needs people that are experts in music. He needs people that are experts in childcare, in the zone, in youth ministry. He needs people that are really good at greeting and all that kind of stuff because Pastor Craig, most of his conversations are literally a minute and he moves on. That's just the way that he is. He needs other people. Here's what's interesting, though. On my side, I am incredible. I'm, this is where God is just, he, he's, he's going, how? What about you? And I'm like, well, my ministry is not nearly as big as Grace. He goes, but why do you think you can do everything? It's amazing the things that I hold on to that I don't really care about. Seriously. I mean, here's what's crazy about it. There's, there's two thought patterns in this. It's, I, I'm fearful that they won't do it as well, or... This is a bigger fear. And this is how petty my soul can get. I'm just being honest with you guys. I'm fearful that they'll do it better. And everybody will be like, well, who's how? I'm right here. We do. We have fear in these things. And so our pride gets in the way and it keeps us from giving. And, and literally, I'm teaching tonight about how God says the entire church is supposed to be a part of the body and do everything. And I'm like, but I'll do everything myself. I'll show them. Show who? That's not what God has for us. Our lives are the same way. We cannot be everything in our lives. If your life, you have to be the hero, every success is about you, then all of your relationships will be awful. Because no life can be around you. You're literally going to be a black hole of praise where no one else can succeed and it's all about you. Can you encourage someone else around you? Can you praise someone else? Can you take something that you are a part of but give praise to somebody else? 
Can you recognize other people and their accomplishments? See, we've got to pay attention to these things. We've got to be a part of it. We've got to make sure that we get ready for it. And we've, we've got to look at what God is doing. Now, it says there in that verse, and we, we read through it, it says, you know, you can't even know what's going to happen. So it's this idea. Some people read that verse and they go, oh, well, then I just won't plan. All of us in here that are bad planners, we're just like, well, I just won't plan. Whatever God wants me to do. I'll walk through the day, and if God says, hey, go left, I'll go left. That's not what God wants. God, it actually talks about in the Bible that it's important to plan. It's important to do these things, but our life as we go through them, we plan things for God, but then we wait for him to do something else. We always leave room for what he's going to do. We always leave room for the bigger things. And when we plan things ahead of time, we're always looking in through the lens of what would God use this situation for. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says it this way. It says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Basically, here's the idea. Everything is about God. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to separate. I've got my God time. I've got school, I've got family, I've got work. And we tend to separate those things out and we go, this part, I'm, I'm looking about God, but when it comes to work, you know, I'm not looking at what God could use my work for, I'm just looking about how I get ahead. I'm not looking about how God can use me in my family, I just want to get along. I'm not looking about how God can use me in my school that I'm at right now, I just want to get done. And what we do is we kind of keep God to the side. We go, hey God, um, not now, I just talked to you Sunday which is basically the same way as telling a boyfriend or girlfriend, leave me alone, it's not date night. That wouldn't work out very well, would it? See, every moment of school, work, home is an opportunity to use for God. I mean, it literally says in that verse, it says, if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. Many times we go, okay, if I know something is wrong and I don't do it, it's okay. But many times what the Bible says is this. It's not just that you're not doing something wrong. It's when you don't do what you're supposed to do. When you don't do what you know you ought to do, it is a sin. And sometimes this is hard to figure out because sometimes we're not picking between what's bad and what's good. We're, we're picking between something that's good and what we're thinking is God. I still remember moving from West Palm to Tampa. I was a youth pastor down in West Palm. Uh, I was down there uh, leading a group down there. It was actually a great group. It was going great. And then my dad was starting a church in Tampa. And he's like, hey, I want you to come up here. You can lead youth. You can do other parts of that. I want you to come up to Tampa. And there's the choice between Tampa and West Palm Beach. And here's the problem. It was both good choices. And so I'm reading in the Bible. I'm like trying to find Tampa in the Bible. It's not there like I'm asking friends, and friends are like, well, both are possible. I'm looking to counsel. We're praying. I actually fasted for 40 days, did a juice fast for 40 days. I'm like, God, please show me. Chrissy is doing it. And it's tough because both are good things. It's not like picking between staying sober and doing heroin. Like it's, it's doing God's work in two different places. And what was crazy was one night I was sleeping, and I woke up, and the dresser was on fire, and it started to talk to me and said, Hal, you're on hologram. I'm kidding. That never happened. Like... <laughs> Some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. No, that would be incredible, right? Or if some person just walking along says, wait, God's given me a word for you, Tampa. Like, it would be awesome if that ha none of that happened. None of that happened. What do we do? We prayed. 
And we believed God was calling us to Tampa. And as we left for Tampa, we're like, God, please bless us in what we're doing. And if we're going the wrong way, help us understand it quickly. See, James is like, pay attention to the things you know are wrong. Pay attention to the things that you know are right. Make sure you're doing those things. But the rest of it, we're just looking for God's direction. We're looking for what he wants us to do. And what it causes us to do is it causes us, for us to do that, we have to live every day in an aspect of humility. Because when we're going down a road and we're doing something we really want to do and God nudges us, we're much less likely to pay attention. But if we're going down a road waiting for God to show us the way, we're very much more likely to do what he's calling us to do. It's that constant realization of this is who God is and this is who I am. God is all-knowing. I truly know nothing. God's all-powerful. I'm a puff of smoke. God is the one that's all about this. I am the one that needs to listen to him. See, pride, guys, it's not an easy thing. But if we start to understand its base, if we start to understand its root, it's amazing as we weed it out, as we get rid of it, how much it changes everything around us. It causes us to be a part of things we never would be before. It causes relationships to flourish that never did before. If we take out the idea that I have to be right that I have to be the one in power, if I have to be the one that succeeds and we just do what God wants, it's amazing what God will do with the people around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to really find out who you are. God, I pray that you would. You would keep us curious this week. God, I pray that you'd help us just find a little bit more about you, learn more about you and who you are. God, I pray right now for all those that are sitting there just... It's, it's hitting kind of hard and resisting the idea that there is pride in our lives. God, I pray that you continue to chip away at our hearts. God, I pray that you continue to show us the areas that we're missing it. And God, I pray that we would understand more and more that we don't have to be everything because you are. We don't have to be everything because people around us will help us and fill in the spots where we don't make it. God, please help us spend this week praising, caring, and encouraging those around us. God, you, we, we thank you for the opportunity just to do those things and be a part of the plan that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.